Welcome to a podcast by Some Guy You Don't Know. I'm that Some Guy You Don't Know. My name's Taylor Price. If you guys want to reach out to me on all social media, I'm at TPComedy41. I have a very unsuccessful open mic stand-up comedy career. Uh, Check it out. I'm not very good on social media, but if you guys reach out, I'm going to interact for sure. This episode is brought to you by Thrill Billy Productions. Uh, That's my little production company. We're live in the Thrill Billy studio right now. This first episode is actually going to be called Controversial Starts. Now, I'm the type of guy I like to push the envelope. I like to see what makes people tick. I like getting under people's skin. So I think this podcast is going to be a great example of who I am. Um, Just a brief look at what this podcast is going to be is it's going to be mostly opinions on sports, mainly NFL, some CFL, um, NCAA, and some hockey might find its way in there. So uh, I'll kind of keep the hockey and the CFL to the back half of the podcast. It's more for the Canadian listeners. I highly recommend that the American listeners actually get out and uh, watch some CFL too. I don't think it gets enough love. A lot of the Americans are fans of NCAA football, and rightfully so. It's a good good league. You know, it's a bunch of kids trying their hardest to make it to the pros. And they're leaving everything out on the field. Well, I kind of get that sense from the CFL too. Like, it's a bunch of guys who just weren't quite there in their development. They need that extra couple years. Like, some all-time greats have come out of the CFL. Like, we're talking people like uh, Doug Flutie. um, uh, Cam Wake was a more recent example. For whatever reason, the Miami Dolphins like to pick up CFL players. Like this season on their practice squad, they've got a player named Nate Hawley. He's a cornerback. He came from uh, Calgary Stampeders. It's a good place to start with who I am. Um, So I'm a big football fan. I've recently got into film study of football. I'm going to be working with a junior team in the area I live in. Uh, once all that's finalized, I might let that kind of information out, who it is, what it's all about. But for now, I'm just going to keep that close to the vest. But who am I? Like I said, I'm a very unsuccessful open mic comedian. Um, I like to say things that get a rise out of people. It's always it's always been something I like. like I, I like seeing what makes people tick. People... People I find these days are just too sensitive. Like, if I have an opposing view to you, that doesn't mean I don't like you. That means I've got an opposing view. And that's fine. I'm a big Dolphins fan, so there will be a lot of Dolphins uh, homer talk, you know. Uh, Great season. Uh, Just recording this episode, uh, we just beat the terrible, terrible Jets. Put them 0-10. And, uh, you know, I became a fan of the Dolphins in 2001. Um, Marino's last year. My dad was a fan of the Dolphins, and that's kind of what got me into it. I started watching the games with them, and it just grew and grew. And now I'm a bigger fan than him. Like, I've devoted so much to that team. 
Like right now, I'm just looking around. I got a Miami Dolphins clock. I got the Miami Dolphins beads from the game I was at. I got a signed Larry Zonka 72 perfect season jersey up on the wall. When it comes to CFL, I'd say I'm a Ticats fan. But I don't look at the CFL quite that way. I enjoy the game just on a large spectrum. Like I could just tune into any game and find a way to enjoy it. Just... It's it's really what the NFL is trying to accomplish when you think about it. The CFL has become a high-scoring, high-energy, fast-paced game. And the NFL is just quickly, you know, catching up with them. You know, there's a saying, like, if you're down 15, 16, I don't know why I picked those arbitrary numbers. But if you're down, like two scores in a CFL game with two minutes left on the clock. There's plenty of time left in that game. Um, so when it comes to NCAA, I, I'm actually probably going to use you guys to help me here. I really don't have a team that I follow in the NCAA. Like if someone asked me what team I cheer for, I'd probably say the Florida Gators... Um, you know, I've tossed around the idea of becoming a Colorado University Buffaloes fan because uh, my dad did a training course down there and uh, he brought me back a sweater and it was one of those things that I just, you know, started attaching to and I, you know, I kind of watched them in the corner too. Um, for whatever reason, when I watched the series Last Chance You, which I highly recommend if you're a in-depth football fan that follows a couple teams and uh, one team in Mississippi and Juco football and one team in Kansas and then the final season was a team in Oakland um, I don't know I just for whatever reason I just kept noticing Mississippi State in that series and I started watching a few Mississippi State games and I really tend to like the way they play um, you know it's kind of one of those fast-paced high-flying offenses that you know, the CFL produces as well. Um, I guess I'm also kind of a glutton for punishment, eh? Like, I I cheer for teams that just don't win. Like, I wouldn't say I was really watching Florida in 2006 or 2005. I can't remember when they won their last championship. But I wasn't really watching NCAA football then. The biggest thing that actually got me into NCAA football is a like as a Canadian kid was actually the NCAA football games, and I really think they need to bring those back. Like they're missing out on tons of money. There's a topic that's going to come up on this one day. You know, should NCAA players be paid? I'm going to give you a little tip. Fucking right, they should be paid. These schools are making millions of dollars off of these kids' backs and. They can't even get a goddamn shoe deal. That's just disgraceful. But, like I said, this first episode is going to be uh, called Controversial Starts. Now, there is nothing more hot button and controversial right now than Sarah Fuller. She's that kicker, you know, the first female kicker to kick in a Power 5 football game she kicked for the sec team uh vanderbilt 
Now, I gotta say, right off the top, these guys who are talking about, oh, girls can't play, girls shouldn't be in the league, grow the fuck up. You're not 12 anymore. This isn't the schoolyard. Like, come on, man. Now, I'm with the group here that women should definitely be able to play Power 5 football, NFL football, CFL football. They should be able to play if they're qualified. Yes, this is the first little bit of controversy on this podcast. You better damn well be ready to play the game. So, little background on this Sarah Fuller. Um, she was on Vanderbilt's female soccer team. Uh, they they won a championship with her. She was the goalie. Um, if you notice some of her practice films, she was wearing number 17 at the beginning, but on game day, she wore number 32. And that's because that's the number she wore when she played for Vanderbilt soccer. So, you know, get on the team for freeing up or whatever. I know players can share multiple numbers as long as they're not on the field. I've never been a big fan of how big the college uh, rosters are, but yeah, whatever. It's nothing. I'm not going to die on that hill for no reason. Um, one thing you got to give her is passion. She is very, very passionate about playing for this team. Um, after the game, she was asked, are you planning on staying on the roster? And she said, essentially, as long as they'll have her, she'll be on that team. And I'm saying good for her for that. Because, like, you know, I'm a male, obviously. Um, I just think it's, you know, it's really hard to just join a team midweek and then take pride in that team. I know that she played for Vanderbilt soccer and she obviously is going to be raw, raw Vanderbilt. But, like, good for her. Um, she also was on the sidelines. She said she was very disappointed in the team for one reason. Because, no no secret, like, they lost to Missouri 41 nothing. Like, they got shit kicked in that game. And she said at several points in the game, when the team would offense would get a first down, she would be the only one cheering on the sideline. Like, as a coach, you got to give her some credit because she is actually out there supporting this team. The rest of your guys are sitting there drinking Gatorade, acting like they want to go home. These are the kind of people who might just spark your team. Now, let's face it, Vanderbilt's not going to the college playoffs. There's another topic I'm going to be getting into is during covid the college playoffs could have done so much more. They could have added extra teams. They could have experimented and made some changes that they desperately need. Like, I'm sick of seeing the same four teams play in the college football playoffs every year. Let's get some diversity here. So we're going to get down to more of the X's and O's of this. Uh, Sarah Fuller. She was brought onto the team because 
the kickers went into COVID protocol. Now, I can't say I fully understand COVID protocol, but the point is they couldn't play and they needed a kicker, and she stepped up. She came onto the team. Well, that's fine against Missouri, who you lost 41-0 to. But now, next week, if she remains on this roster, she's going to be up against the number 9 Georgia team. Her first kick was on at the beginning of the second half. Um, they were down 21 nothing to Missouri. I refuse to say Missouri, just so you know. I do know oh, everyone's going to say, oh, it's Missouri. It's Missouri. God damn it. Grandpa Simpson taught me that, and that's the way it's sticking. So she trots out, and you know the crowd starts going wild because it's the first female kicker, and rightfully so. Um, she had a she had a placeholder there too, which you know I think that was just more for comfort. I'd say. Um, I'm sure she spent most of her time in practice kicking field goals. So I think it was more of a. Just a comfort thing for her. So she lines up and she kicks the ball. And the ball goes sailing about 30 yards towards the sideline. Now, I'm seeing a lot of controversy online. A lot of people are saying, oh, he should have just let it roll out of bounds and it it would have been a penalty and they would have got the ball even further up. The team was up 21 nothing. 21 nothing. You know what? I'm not going to start any conspiracy theories, but even if that ball was going out of bounds, you're up 21 nothing and this is a historic moment. Flop on the ball, make sure the kick stays legal. That's absolutely fine by me. I had to do a little bit of research on this because uh, soccer's really not my comfort zone. I really do not care for the sport. I frankly hate it. It's, to me, a very boring sport. They kick the ball back and forth, and the game ends in a 1-1-0-0-1-0. Like, it's just not enough action for me. I... I know you're going to get some purists from soccer going, yeah, well, there's only 17 minutes of live action in football. Yeah, but that 17 minutes is good sport. So I did some research, and the the main thing about kicking is, I guess goalies tend to be the best kickers on a soccer team. On average, they kick the ball 50 to 60 yards. Um, and, you know, if she could kick the ball 60 total yards, that would be phenomenal. But she only kicked that ball 30 yards. You don't see a lot of soccer players make that transition, though, to the uh, NCAA football and 
that's because on a football, the sweet spot of that football is a little bit bigger than a quarter. On a soccer ball, the sweet spot is much larger. And when kicking a football, sideline to sideline, you only have 53 and a third yard of total space. And you don't want it anywhere near that. Like modern football, they're kicking for the touchback. You know, frankly, if I was a kicker, I'd be kicking, trying to kick it through the uprights every time. Just so, you know, just a little bit of fun competition for myself. Keeps me engaged. On a soccer field, they have 93 yards of space. So even if you don't put that ball directly where it needs to go, you have someone who has a set of wheels on them and can chase that ball down and then soccer goes on from there. A few more things about her. Um, she has stated that her longest field goal was 38 yards. And I'm sorry, in Power 5 football, that is not going to cut it. Let's just break this down, you know. So, on the kick, you got 10 yards for the end zone. And you got 7 yards from where the holder kneels and places the ball. You break that math down. Simply stating, her field goal longest is at the 21-yard line. Now, I may have this out of context. I, She's a soccer player. I don't know if she fully thinks through the calculation of a field goal. She actually might be kicking a 45-yard field goal. Or, sorry, a 55-yard field goal, but... I think that's a little bit ambitious. So we're going to put her... Her kicking area is 21 yard... The 21 yard line. I'm going to give her 25 because... I'm sure she can kick it. Because those soccer players really can put some power behind that ball. Um, a few more thoughts on this is... I question the ethics in this and it's not that a woman can't take a, a football hit. I'm sure there are plenty of women out there who are a hell of a lot tougher than me. I'm going to say most women probably are actually, but where it comes down to is there's two sides to this. They're playing the number nine Georgia Bulldogs next week. So let's say she really gets under it. She figures out the sweet spot and she kicks that ball 50 yards. You have a returner now who has spent his entire life stiff arming, running through tackles. And there is a possibility that she will be the last line of defense. Now, during the game, if you watch her kick, you'll notice she doesn't run into coverage. Which I think is going to be a massive liability for Vanderbilt. You have to be able to cover 
every single player when you're playing a top 10 ranked team. Now, I don't know if their whole idea is they're going to keep her away from the play. But I don't think that that's the right way to do it. I think that they should actually be teaching her proper tackling techniques. Which is actually going to be an uphill battle because she came from a non-contact sport. Don't feed me that bullshit either that soccer is a contact sport. If you bump into someone and they fall down, that is not a contact sport. Okay, I played hockey. I played field lacrosse. I played football. That's not a contact sport. So what I think they really do need to do is teach her how to tackle. The other side to this is the ethics of what does the guy returning the ball feel if she's the last line of defense and he has to make a football move on her. If he can't just try and outrun her, if he has to make a contact football move, what does he do? And I I say he has to go through her. He has to stiff arm, he has to lower the shoulder, and he's got to do it because he's playing for a spot in the NFL. And I think her, being the competitor she is, is going to absolutely respect the hell out of that. She's going to take a hit, and you don't know, maybe you teach her the proper techniques, maybe she's laying a tackle. Maybe she's putting some eyes on her from the NFL. I'd love to see that. I freaking love when a kicker makes a huge tackle. It doesn't happen very often. Like Most kickers are run the fuck over. But someone like Neil Rackers, Steven Goskowski, made some sweet tackles, you know. One of the kings of it, though, was Pat McAfee. I love this guy. He comes from football. He's a comedian. Um, hell of a, hell of a podcaster. He used to fucking lay some tackles. Um, one of my favorite, too, was uh, Joey Julius. He played for Penn State. He was like that like 5'10", like 260-pound kicker. Oh, man. But if it does come down to her having to make a tackle, she's got some big shoes to fill. Carrie Spears laid one of the biggest kicker hits I have ever seen. And that come, he came from her alma mater, Vanderbilt. So, really, where I'm getting to with this is my opinion on her is her kick was probably off due to nerves and the fact that the sweet spot on a football is much smaller than it is on a soccer ball. I think she did a really good job because she came in with less than a week of experience and played in a Power 5 football game. I think I think if she gets coached up, she might be able to do something. And it's going to be interesting to see if she's invited to the NFL Combine. I don't see why the NFL doesn't do it if she can actually start producing kicks at a larger distance. You know, she needs to be coached, but I think she can do it. Topic number two on my podcast. Uh, this one's going to be quite controversial. 
I'm going to call it right now on the air. Lamar Jackson is going to be a bust. There is plenty, plenty of people before him that couldn't handle the NFL. Um, he, I kind of lump him in with the Dante Culpeppers, who is probably the most successful bust of all time. Shout out to Culpepper. He played for the Dolphins for a little bit. Um, I think his closest mirror image is actually RG3, which is his backup currently. Um, I don't know. Did they bring him in as like, kind of like a, this is what will happen to you if you don't protect yourself kind of story. RG3 had a lot of potential. He was definitely, definitely number one out of the four quarterbacks who came out of there um, athleticism-wise. I know a lot of people in that uh, the, the draft he was in would argue that maybe um, uh, Russell Wilson is more athletic. I wouldn't say he's more athletic. He's a better all-round football player for sure, and I think when history looks into it, Russell Wilson will be a first ballot Hall of Famer if he can start protecting the ball again. He's been throwing a lot of interceptions and it's just not working out for him. Another comparison, I guess, would be Johnny Manziel. He didn't have an eye for the game. He had a better arm, in my opinion, but he didn't have an eye for the game. Like, even when he came to the CFL, he really struggled because that's a game with a bigger field, right? Like, the CFL's got a 110-yard field and 65 yards wide, I believe. Um, You know, you really, like, to throw it out, you really got to have some arm strength. It's got to be zip in and out because those guys are going to pick six all day. The main reason I say Lamar Jackson is a bust is he can't throw an NFL ball. You know, it's one thing to throw in college because there's 100-plus teams with 100-plus man rosters. There's going to be some players that aren't the cream of the crop. But once you get to the NFL... Effectively, there's only 96 top-end corners. There's only 32 top-end free safeties. 23, or 32, sorry, 32. A little bit, bit of dyslexia there. There's only 32 free safeties and 32 strong safeties. You have really come to the cream of the crop of the secondary. Now... One of his biggest problems is he's a freak of an athlete. Like, he is truly amazing at running around, keeping people away. But you can't do that for your entire career. Like, some somebody's eventually going to catch you. And that's what's starting to happen this year. His first couple years, they couldn't... They could not keep up with him. They had a great system. Uh, 
you know, lots of option football, which was kind of neat to watch. Um, the team I'm going to be affiliated with runs a, uh, a triple option system, so that's kind of cool to see in the NFL. But he needs to learn to get down. If he, if he can't, he's in trouble. You're going to eventually become the Ryan Tannehills of the world. You're just going to be so injured. And that's the worst part is his raw talent tells me that he should be there. But he's going to end up like Ryan Tannehill. The Ravens had a lot of injuries uh, this year. Like, they had... The biggest one was Stanley got injured. They've had injuries on the offensive line all year. And that's really screwed him up. He's taken a lot of hard hits this year. A lot of his problems do stem from his mechanics. Now, I'm not beating, just beating up on the guy just because I can. He has really improved but he's still making these like odd mistakes he'll throw the ball sidearm style like you're and the big shame is that in that is he loses the torque from his hips when he does that when he throws it sidearm that's all arm power and he does have a decent arm but the problem with his decent arm is he doesn't position his hand right on the football. That leads to a wobble. And this is no secret. This is something he said to the media himself. He says he chokes up on the ball and it just puts a little bit of a wobble in it, which makes it harder for the receivers to catch and it makes his ball less accurate. I think he's going to end up like a Ryan Tannehill. Um, he's just going to end up being injured and injured and injured because he's not being protected properly. He's putting himself in vulnerable positions. Like when Ryan Tannehill came into the league, the knock on him is he didn't know how to get down. He played receiver in college, so he wanted to take a hit, but you got to slide as a quarterback. Like you're... Every team needs a high-end quarterback. You got to protect yourself. Another reason I think he's going to be a bust. He doesn't win the big games. Um, when he took over for Joe Flacco in 2017, lights out. He played great. They lost to the Chargers in the wild card. Okay, that's fine. You got a rookie QB just taken over a couple weeks before. That's absolutely fine. But he cannot beat the Chiefs. You know, there, there's the Hall of Fame and the Hall of Very Good. I think he's going to end up being one of those guys. He's going to just forever be in the Hall of Very Good because a lot of people love him. But he's just, he's not meant to be, I don't think. Um, I think it's actually very smart on the Ravens, though, style-wise, to have RG3 as a backup. Like, because 
you have the same style quarterback coming in. You don't see that a lot around the league. Like, I'm going to use my team again, the Dolphins. At the start of the season, they had Ryan Fitzpatrick, a right-handed quarterback who wasn't as athletic as he lets on, most people think. He's actually a very smart quarterback and just knows how and when to run. And that's why he led the team in rushing because, frankly, the Dolphins didn't have shit last year. But his backup is Tua Tungavailoa. How how do you prepare for that if your starting quarterback gets injured? You go from an, a less athletic right-handed quarterback to an athletic left-handed quarterback. That completely changes the dynamic of how you block, which receiver becomes the primary receiver. Like it's it's quite the jump. So I think it's very good coaching by the Ravens to have RG3 as the backup because you're bringing in a similar quarterback. He's an older guy, so he's getting into that area of okay, I'm not as athletically gifted anymore. But I've learned from my shortcomings and I've learned to read defenses. So I have to come in and play smart. And really that's all you're looking for in a backup. Someone who's going to hold the ball. Not lose it. And that's another reason why RG3, or uh, not RG3, uh, Lamar Jackson's going to be a bust. Is he's going to age out of his athleticism. You can only be athletic for so long before it all comes crashing down. You know, one of the biggest comparisons to him, too, is to Cam Newton's game. And once the league figured out Cam Newton, it was game over for him. Like, he was a run-first quarterback. And the only reason I think Cam Newton's had the longevity that Lamar's not going to have is Newton is a massive dude. He's the size of a linebacker, a size of a tight end. Like, he can, he's got the frame to take a hit. Lamar Jackson doesn't. Lamar Jackson's a thin dude. He's only like 212 pounds or something like that, or 215 pounds. He's got poor mechanics. He, like, the team's working with him on it, but there's only so much you can do. And I think this stems from junior football. I think if they see a kid who's athletic, they just kind of let them go. They don't teach them. They don't come from the families that, you know, of a player who's maybe not as athletically gifted, but has the smarts to do it. And they train them how to read the coverage and how to... Get down when you have to. I think that's kind of sad. I think like it's a waste. Like If you could actually get through to Lamar Jackson and teach him at a higher rate how to deal with these NFL defenses, he'd be unstoppable. I think if he could really understand the game, I think we'd be talking about Mahomes being the second quarterback in the league, not the first. Just got to keep working with the guy, I suppose. 
Well, I guess that's kind of the end of my first podcast here. I had a couple opinions here. Um, feel free to contact me. I've created an email. So if you guys want to ask any questions to me, some give me some topics. I'm totally into that. It is football, S-G-Y-D-K, at gmail.com. That's... Uh, football from some guy you don't know at gmail.com you can follow me on twitter and instagram at tpcomedy41 you know follow me on facebook at the same we're always looking for some topics and if uh, we could have some sponsorship at some point that'd be awesome too anyways guys uh, it's been good talking with you and uh, make sure you rate and subscribe Leave some comments, whether you think I'm right or wrong, doesn't matter to me. I got some thick skin. Don't be a prick about it, though. Like, yeah, you can call me a dick or whatever. But, like, let's not get too far into name-calling here. We're, we're talking X's and O's football. We're talking just about a game that millionaires are playing for billionaires. So, you know, don't get too aggressive. But, like, if you think I'm being a dick, tell me I'm being a dick. Make sure you leave a five-star subscription. Rating. Rating, not subscription. Man, I fucked that up at the end. Take care, guys. Cheers.